Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 25. Reading the whole psalm. Psalm 25, the words are there on the screen. You can also look along in the church Bible. That's page 492. This is God's very word. Let's receive it as such. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look in my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. In our New Testament, reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. That's page 1049. 1049 in the Church Bible, if you want to follow along there. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. 
But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, there greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would now wield this word in our hearts. Speak clearly by this word to us. Work it in us, we ask. That we might see Jesus and trust him. It's for his sake we ask it. Amen. Dr. Catherine Butler is a former trauma and critical care surgeon. She's also a writer. She's a Christian. Uh, she has a blog. She, she writes sometimes for the website, The Gospel Coalition. Maybe you're familiar with that site. But they recently published an article that she had written reflecting on uh, how her faith collapsed during her surgical training. So as she's training to become a trauma surgeon, she has to do this uh, training in the emergency room. And one night there in the emergency room, she witnessed so much, uh, uh, so much that was uh, terrible and horrible to see, so much suffering that it shook her faith deeply. She writes this, Midway through my surgical training, a single night's work in the emergency department shattered my belief in God. I grew up as a nominal Christian with a faith grounded in sentimentality rather than biblical truth. One night, too many hearts thudded to a stop beneath my hands. Without the truths of Scripture to gird it, my meager faith crumbled to dust. In the article, she goes on to describe this, the tragic things she witnessed and how she didn't have a category for that kind of suffering. And it shook her, shook her faith. For the following year, she was shaken, she was depressed, she was suicidal because her faith had been so severely shaken. And, and that is what Paul is worried is going to happen to the church in Thessalonica. Right? He, 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 he got to spend three weeks with them. And, and in those three weeks, he ministered to them, he shared the gospel with them, tried to ground them in their faith. But then persecution comes, just three weeks into this church's existence, and Paul has to flee and leave this church orphaned without him. And so he's wondering, did they collapse under the persecution? Was it, did the suffering shake them, shake their faith? God's purpose in this text, Paul's purpose and, and God speaking through Paul is to equip the church to stand firm in affliction, not to be shaken. So that, so that when we, we, we do suffer, our individual faith isn't shaken. 
And so that when our church suffers affliction, we're not broken by it, but actually built up by it. That's Paul's concern for the church in Thessalonica. That's God's, uh, that's, that's God's message in this text this morning. How, how can we be a church? How can we be people that when we suffer, we're not shaken, but, we're, but we stand firm? Or how can we be a church that's not broken, but actually built up by suffering? That's what this text is about. It lays out three ways. Three ways uh, that we can be built up instead of broken by our afflictions. So we'll unpack these three things under three headings this morning. First, appointed for afflictions. Appointed for afflictions in verses 1 through 5. Remember, we spoke last Sunday, if you were here, about how Paul loved this church, how he missed them, how desperately he wanted to see them. Uh, we, we, we read there his concern for this church. So he, he tells us here in 1 Timothy 3, after he's been speaking of his, how much he missed this church uh, and how much he loved them, that he sent Timothy to them, and Timothy goes to find out how the church is doing. So Timothy goes. Uh, Timothy's mission is to strengthen the Thessalonians, to, to, to buttress their faith, to support it, to reinforce it. Um, Verse 3 says that Paul's goal is that no one be shaken by affliction. That word shaken means in particular to be shaken in uh, your faith. That's Paul's concern. Uh, So he sends Timothy to find out how the church is doing. And this is something we we resonate with as well. I began with the story of Catherine Butler, who had her faith shaken by uh, this this trauma she saw uh, in the emergency room. And so Paul's concern, like, uh, like in a case like, like hers, it's a legitimate concern. This can happen to us. I'm sure we know people uh, who, you know, something happened, something just that was too painful, and it shook them, uh, shook their faith. And we ourselves, if we're honest, right, when we're suffering, we can ask, why is God letting this happen to me? We can say, well, I thought life was supposed to be better as a Christian. I thought it was supposed to be happier, easier, but it feels harder. We, there's this wonderful, well-known quote from Mother Teresa, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. We can feel that way sometimes. But what we need to see, as Paul writes to the Thessalonians here in verse 3, is that you yourselves know you were appointed for this. This is what they've been appointed to. He tells them in verse 4, this is exactly what he told them when he was with them. So even in those three short weeks Paul spent there with the Thessalonians, he hit this topic. As a Christian, you're going to suffer affliction. This is discipleship 101. This is basic Christianity over in Acts 14. As Luke describes how, how Paul spoke to some churches he was visiting there, he writes this, Uh, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So this is basic Christianity for Paul. If you're going to know doctrine, Paul says you've got to know this one. You've been appointed to affliction. Suffering is not abnormal for the Christian. It's not a glitch in the system. We might say it is the system. It's what we've been 
destined to. It's the job we've been given, in a sense. I, don't, I doubt that any, anybody or any culture would love to hear that message. I think perhaps our culture, though, might, might like to hear that message least of all. Uh, I don't want to be aware of making statements like that, but, but I, think, I think there's a case that, that you can say that. Tim Keller has a wonderful book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And in that book, he argues that modern Western culture, our culture, has no way of making sense of suffering. He says this, We are more shocked and undone by suffering than were our ancestors. Life for our ancestors was filled with far more suffering than ours is, and yet we have innumerable diaries, journals, and historical documents that reveal they took that hardship and grief in far better stride than do we. Keller argues that this is the case because of this. He says, In the secular view, this material world is all there is. So the meaning of life is to have the freedom to choose the life that makes you most happy. However, in that view of things, suffering can have no meaningful part. It is a complete interruption of your life's story. It cannot be a meaningful part of the story. I think Keller's right. Our culture does preach that. Suffering is an interruption. It's not a meaningful part of the story. It's an aberration. It's, it's abnormal. Uh, it, it says that we should expect we deserve to have a, an easy, comfortable, and fulfilling life. Loved ones, that's a pervasive message. Don't let your hearts hope in that. What does God say? What should our expectations be? We've been appointed for affliction. That's hard to hear. I like the idea of an easy, comfortable, fulfilling life, this side of glory. But Paul says, no, you've been appointed for affliction. Why should we be Christians at all if this is what this means for us? There are many reasons. Here's a couple. Uh, First, we've been destined for this. We've been appointed to this, as Paul says here, by God himself. He doesn't say it outright, but he says you've been appointed to this, and the implication is you've been appointed to this by God himself. See, everyone's going to go through suffering. But for the for the non-Christian, for the secular person, it's just random. It's just it's just pointless. There's no reason, there's no rhyme, it's just it happens and you have to get through it. It's an accident. God says, no, I've appointed you for this. There's a purpose here. This is, this is part of the plan for you. That's, that's part of the reason, loved ones. We, we've been appointed to suffering by God himself. And so we know who God is. We know he's, he's most wise, holy, just, and good. We've seen that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've seen it in his word. We've seen it in his providence in our lives. So we can trust Him. We know that every affliction, from the least to the greatest, every affliction happens to us because of God's wisdom and goodness. He is appointing us to it. It's not random, accidental, and pointless. There's a purpose, a good purpose for us in it. That's one reason why this is a good thing. This is good news. The second second is this. We see here that the tribulations we've been appointed to are nothing less than the birth pangs of the coming of the kingdom of God. This is important for us to see. Um, the, the suffering that the church has gone through 
from Christ to now is part of the suffering of the last days. It's part of the great tribulation. In the Old Testament, we see these prophecies speaking of, of the coming tribulation that, that will happen when the kingdom comes. And Christ comes, and we see that start in His suffering and His death especially. And, and that's what we are participating in in our suffering too. That's a, that's a very bit of a theological point. What, is it, what, is, what does that mean for us? One commentator puts it like this. He says, too often Christians who suffer don't view their suffering within, a, within a, 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 the context of the storyline of Scripture. They may see their suffering as a test of their individual faith and as something through which they need to endure in order to grow in their faith. When, however, we're able to view our afflictions through a wide-angle lens as part of the great trial that was prophesied to come upon God's people at the end, our endurance takes on more significance since it identifies us with Jesus' own victorious forbearance in suffering, climaxed by His death and resurrection. We become identified with the storyline of Scripture, in particular, with the great victory over evil, which will be concluded at the second coming. In other words, the, the, the writer there is saying, our suffering is intimately connected with Christ's suffering. Our, our suffering is not separate from God's work in, in Scripture. We're, we're part of the same redemptive history that's unfolding by God's plan. How does this strengthen us in our affliction? When, when the diagnosis comes, when, when ridicule comes, shame comes, people, people no longer uh, respect us because of our stance on something. When we hear of things in this world, right, the wars, the, the viruses and the earthquakes and the unrest, what, how does this strengthen us in situations like these? Well, we remember, this is part of God's plan for history. My suffering is part of the, it's connected with the suffering of Christ. It began with Christ and it's coming uh, up, up till this very day, all the way till Christ returns. I'm sharing in Jesus' suffering, which marks the coming of his kingdom. We're participating, as, as one writer says, in the divine plan of the ages when we suffer faithfully for Christ's sake. We're fighting in the same war. We're connected with His suffering. Loved ones, when we see our suffering as individuals and as a church through that lens, I think we won't be so shaken by it, but actually strengthened, because this is, this is the sign that Jesus is bringing His kingdom. That's the message Paul sends Timothy with to the church in Thessalonica. Timothy goes, brings that message to them. And as Timothy goes... Um, he finds out the Thessalonians are really doing well. His fears are relieved. Paul's fears are relieved. The, the people there in the church are doing very well. And Timothy comes back to Paul with that message. He says, I went, I told them what you sent me to tell them, and they're doing great, Paul. And he comes back with that message, and that message, in turn, comforts Paul. So Paul, Paul sent Timothy to comfort them. Timothy comes back to comfort Paul in his afflictions. And that's our second heading, comforted in afflictions, verses 6 through 10. So Paul, too, is suffering, not just the Thessalonians. Paul has suffered many things. He's been beaten. 
He's been stoned. He's been left for dead. He's been thrown in prison, uh, most recently in Philippi. He's been run out of town in Thessalonica and Berea. He's being slandered. But most of all, the suffering he highlights in this letter is his anguish for the Thessalonians. That's his affliction at this, at this time. It's, it's, it's the, the kind of pain a concerned parent feels for a child when they don't know how that child's doing. So he sends Timothy. Timothy comes back to Athens where Paul is, and he says, Paul, they're doing, they're doing well. They're suffering, but they're standing firm. They're not shaken in their faith. They love each other. They love you. They miss you. So Paul is encouraged by this. He feels great relief from this. And so as he writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians, he says here in verses 7 to 8, Therefore, brothers, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. This is what's such a comfort to Paul in his affliction, that the Thessalonians are, are still faithful to the Lord. He puts it in such strong terms there, doesn't he? He says, we live. My life is this, that you're standing faithful in the Lord. He's echoing what we heard him say at the end of chapter 2, isn't he? He said there, our hope, our joy, crown of rejoicing before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. He's, He's saying the same thing to the Thessalonians here. Hearing about your faith is my life. It's, it's, it, it gives me strength and life. What we see here, then, is the, the same love that we saw already between Paul and this church that we saw last time. Paul, now, in his turn, being strengthened. Here's the point for us. We need to see, we need to see how important it is to be comforted by one another in our suffering and affliction. Paul writes about this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's the same idea that Paul is saying here. God puts us through suffering, comforts us in that suffering, so we can go comfort others in their suffering. Here's the the point. Our suffering is not about just us. It's about the whole church. The comfort that we're comforted with is not just for us. It's, It's for the church. It's for each other. We're tempted when we suffer to withdraw, to curve in on ourselves, shut down, put up walls and barriers, See, the purpose of our pain is no larger than ourselves. God says, my purpose in your pain is so that I can comfort you and you can go comfort others. That's what we're seeing here in this relationship between Paul and the church in Thessalonica. Loved ones, our church is full of people who are in affliction. We might know it, we might not. But we, 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 our church is full of people who are suffering and, and God's purpose in this is that we'd be comforted by him and then go to each other and, and say, yes, I, 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 I'm in affliction too. I'm suffering too. Here's how God comforted me. Here's the promise he gave me that was so precious, that, that sustained me. Brothers and sisters, just this past week, I met with someone in our church who's going through something uh, immensely challenging. But they said to me that God's grace is giving them strength each day. And that was such a comfort and an encouragement to me. 
Let's be a church, loved ones, following Paul's example here. We're, we're, we're in this together, and we are to encourage one another and comfort each other. So this is how Paul's encouraged and comforted. He hears about how this church is standing firm in their suffering. He's encouraged to stand firm. He's overjoyed. He praises God for them. And he prays for them. He prays hard. He says he prays night and day for them, that he might see them again. And he prays even more than that, that they might be strengthened through all affliction to reach their reward. And that's where we turn in our final heading, verses 11 through 13, here at the end of the chapter, enduring in afflictions. It's our third heading, enduring in afflictions. So the first part of Paul's prayer starts back in verse 10, actually, then comes into verse 11. He's asking God to bring him face to face with the church here. We can see again how much he misses the the Thessalonians. He's praying to God. He's praying to Jesus as well that he would bring him face to face with this church again. He longs to see them. Then in verse 12, he prays that the Lord would make them increase in their love for one another. We're in the context here of Paul talking to this church about how they can endure in affliction. And he says, my prayer for you is that you'd abound in love for one another. This is similar to the point he was just making earlier about how he was comforted by their faith. He's calling them to strengthen each other. Right? We can picture this like, like a wall, and, and, and all the members of the church are, are, are the bricks. If you don't have love binding it all together, there's no strength, no dur- durability. A- affliction comes, storms come, and it falls down. Paul says his prayer is that they love one another so they're not easily shaken together as a church. This is vital, loved ones. We live in an age where people are being pulled farther and farther apart, it feels. A fractured age, a contentious age. People uh, often in our day think that to have a relationship with God is something that doesn't mean they have to have a relationship with one another in the church. Paul says here, if you are going to endure these afflictions, you must love one another. Encourage each other. Sacrifice your needs and comfort for each other. Let's do that, loved ones. Let's be a church that that loves one another in these ways. We won't flourish without this. But even as we, you know, as even as we take Paul's command here to love one another, notice how Paul starts this in verse twelve. He's talking about loving each other. He says, "May the Lord make you increase and abound in love." This is only a command to love each other by implication. It's a prayer, really, that God would do this in the. Thessalonians. We can't do this for ourselves. Calvin puts it this way. He says, God does not look to what we can do, but requires of us what is above our strength, that we may learn to ask from Him power to accomplish it. Let us learn from Him to ask power to accomplish it. So this is what Paul wants to see in the church. This is his prayer. Love each other. Then he goes on to tell us why in verse 13. So that, love each other, so that he, Jesus, may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He's praying that Jesus would 
cause them to love each other. And then he prays that Jesus would establish their hearts, strengthen their hearts, make their hearts stand up. How does he want this to happen? How does Jesus do this? I don't think Paul is talking about justification here. Um, we, we often see this language of being blameless in holiness, and we think that's referring to a right standing before God, something that we can't earn or produce in ourselves, only Jesus can do for us, as he gives us his righteousness as a gift, like clothing that we put on, not something he works in us. That's justification. That's how we stand blameless in holiness before God. That's true. I think in this text, though, Paul's talking about the holiness that Jesus, by his Spirit, works in us. Uh, we, I think this is clear because his prayer is that Jesus would make them abound in love. That's the language of sanctification. And he's, may you abound in love so that you may be blameless in holiness. So we're in the realm of progressive sanctification here. That's what Paul is, is describing for us. He, he means this. May Jesus work in you such a work by his Spirit that when you come to the last day, you stand before God with the fruit of a faithful life. So that God can look on you and, and not say based on your work that you are blameless and holy, but can see in your life the Spirit-produced work of someone who's trusting in Christ alone. Jesus is the only one who can do that work in us, loved ones. So let us, again, let us seek Him that, that He might work that in us. Now, loved ones, as we, as we close, consider where Paul draws our gaze at the end of this chapter. He's been talking about enduring affliction. He's been talking about, about how we're appointed to it, how we comfort each other in it, how we get through it by prayer, for these, by, by loving each other, and by Christ establishing our hearts. But now, as he draws this section of his letter to a close, he fixes our attention beyond the end of our afflictions, on the day when the afflictions are done. This is our, this is our hope. This is how we can endure now because we know it's not going to go on forever. We have certainty that Christ is coming. Again, we, we endure afflictions now with the hope that Jesus is going to come and this affliction will then be over. That's why Paul ends looking to this final day. What, what greater hope could he give the Thessalonians? Right? Their world is falling apart. They're, they're being cut off from every, uh, everything in their, in, their, in their communities. They've lost everything to come to Christ. What's their hope? Paul says, endure these afflictions now because they're going to end. Christ will come. And you'll be blameless before him. Brothers and sisters, whatever affliction you might be in, whatever pain, whatever grief you might be carrying, look past it to the end. It's not going to last. It might feel like it goes on and on and on. Like there is no end, but... but Paul, God, through Paul, promises an end to it. When we'll stand there with all the saints before Jesus and see him in his glory and the fullness of who he is and, and delight in him. And the afflictions will be over forever. And it, it won't be that, that, that they're just reversed. I mean, that, that they're just over, but that they're actually reversed. All the suffering will be gone and all the suffering will be replaced with joy. It was these same things that brought Dr. Catherine Butler, whom we started with, back to faith in Christ. 
the suffering she saw in the emergency room that shattered her faith. Uh, eventually, she learned to see that suffering, that affliction, through the light of God's Word and through the light of God's love for her and the end of affliction. After she was um, in the emergency room that night, lost her faith, uh, she was uh, severely depressed. She contemplated suicide. This went on for about a year. But after that, God worked in her wonderfully to, to, to bring her back to faith in Him. She writes this, When one of my patients recovered from a devastating brain injury in response to prayer, a flicker of hope stirred within me. When I finally cracked the spine of a Bible, God's Word fanned that spark into a flame. I read through the four Gospels, and God's love for us in Christ left me awestruck. God's love for her in Christ left her awestruck. She goes on to talk about how God's Word shored up her faith, restored her faith. She concludes the article by looking past the end of afflictions like this. She says this, Illness, pain, and death are the detestable fruits of the fall, and they daily break us in two. But in Christ we have hope. While tragedies devastate us now, our tears will not flow forever. He has conquered the evil that gives birth to our pain. And when he returns, the fruits of sin, the gunshot wounds, the brain injury, the mourning, the despondency will vanish from the face of the new earth forever. And that, that's exactly right. That's the hope Paul is pointing the Thessalonians to here and that we are pointed to also. So don't be shaken in your afflictions. God appointed you to this. You endure it by his grace. Comfort one another in the midst of it. Hold fast to Christ and look to the hope of the end of these afflictions. Let's pray together.